Man, we've been, uh, it feels like we've been working up to, uh, walking through Colossians for several months, I and mean, we have been for several months now, and uh, I think we've been announcing it for several weeks as well, and I'm just excited, I'm excited to finally go through this book together with you guys, I'm just, I don't know, I, I love summer, yeah, I know a lot of us love summertime, but honestly, there's something really nice about just getting back in our rhythms, you know what I mean, our kind of life rhythms, our routines a little bit better, um, I enjoy that, I think it's, it's, life's a little bit harder when you don't know what your weeks look like, but I don't know about y'all, so I'm I'm, I'm kind of there. I'm excited to, to go through this together as a church um, and just, just kind of sit in Colossians. We're going to be in this book for six weeks and just really dig into what Paul wants us to hear out of this little gem of a book. Okay, quick notes as you're reading through Colossians. Uh, man, we want you guys to, one, bring your Bibles to church with you on Sunday mornings. We just want you to be able to open a Bible. So if you have one, just go ahead and open it to Colossians. If you're not there, open it up. There should be some under some of the chairs. Um, if you want, you know, got a Bible or pull it up on your phone if you can do that. Um, I think actually our Wi-Fi got hit by lightning last night, so um, that might not work. Um, but if you have service somehow miraculously in this big metal building, that'd be awesome. Um, you know, pull it up on there. We want you just to have it. We want you to see it. Um, guys, we're, honestly, I, I love that idea because I want you to know, we want you to know as, as pastors, as a church, um, that the things that we talk about from this stage, this is God's words, not Kurt's word, okay? And, and the things that we're going to dig into and the topics that will come out of a book like Colossians, um, it's, it's here, and it's what was really written. And I know you'll see it on the screen, but um, anyway, just to be safe, I would love for you to see it in your own Bible so that you know, okay, this is nobody's making this up. Um, also, there's bookmarks on chairs, guys, that y'all can take on. Those are for you. Take a bookmark. Bookmark Colossians. Read through it with us together. Um, and we're going to have a, we have a reading plan out on our website. We have uh, a podcast that you guys can go watch after church today that kind of walks through what we talk about today. You can do that as a family. You can do that as an individual or a growth group. That's all just resources for y'all. Okay. Um, that the goal is we would just walk through Colossians together and uh, see this beautiful message of Christ in you. All right. Uh, Hey, real quick question though. Anybody in here like cinnamon rolls? Who likes cinnamon rolls? Yeah. Awesome. Um, if you don't like cinnamon, I don't even understand you as a person. If you don't like cinnamon rolls, like you should, I don't know. That's just kind of a strange thing. I feel like everybody likes cinnamon rolls. I pick cinnamon rolls specifically though, because I know there's lots of like sweet treats that we all like cakes and pies and whatever, but cinnamon rolls have a very specific part of them. That is the best part of them right? Cinnamon rolls in particular, as as, as kind of separate from all other treats in the world, they have a very specific thing that is without debate the best part of the cinnamon roll. And it is the center, center, right? This is, right? Everybody agrees with this. This is not a debate, right? Does anybody disagree with that statement? Don't raise your hand because you'll be outcasted. It's just not something that can really be discussed. The best part of the cinnamon roll is the center, right? Nobody eats a cinnamon roll, for the outside, right? If you were to take off all the other parts of the cinnamon roll and you were just left with the center of the cinnamon roll, you'd be okay. You'd be fine. In fact, it would be almost just as good an experience as if you ate the entire cinnamon roll. I actually saw a post one time where a guy said he was watching this guy eat a cinnamon roll and he like ate all the outside and threw away the middle. And the guy like posted online, he was like, I almost lost my mind. I almost passed out. I couldn't even believe what I just saw. You buy the cinnamon roll for the center of the cinnamon roll. Um, anyway, I'm being silly, but listen, here, here's what Paul is doing in the book of Colossians. Okay. He, I think he wants us as a church. He wants the Colossians as a church to see the center, the ooey gooey, delicious, beautiful middle 
of the gospel of God's grace in Jesus. And that's what it is. It's in Jesus. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes this letter in the first century to the church at Colossae. It's a city that used to be kind of a greater city than it was at this time. It was actually kind of a dying city, a little bit of a smaller city. Colossae was actually destroyed by an earthquake not long after this. Um, kind of crazy, but... Paul himself had not been to Colossae. Uh, he was writing this letter to a church that had been started by a guy named Epaphras. We actually see Epaphras in the first chapter here, um, that Epaphras was the one who brought them the gospel. Epaphras probably heard the gospel from Paul as he preached probably in like Ephesus. Colossae was very close to Ephesus, about 100 miles or so uh, from Ephesus. So maybe Epaphras had been there for while Paul was there for a couple of years, heard the gospel, believed it, took it back to his people at Colossae and began to preach to them, began to share with them the gospel. And so now Paul has begun to hear some rumors that some things are being taught in Colossae that weren't quite the center, right? That weren't quite the middle, that were kind of getting to the fringes or even beyond the fringes of what the truth really was about who Jesus is in the gospel. So he's writing this letter to just kind of go, hey, hey, listen, there, there, there's something that you're missing here. You guys are, are just spending so much time on the fringes. You've thrown away the middle and you're missing the true center of our faith, and that's Christ in you. Jesus himself is the truth, right? And he's just trying to bring them back. So there there's, uh, seems to be a guy who's in Colossae, some sort of teacher. He calls him a, a teacher, a philosopher in chapter 2. Some guy who is teaching some stuff to the Colossian Christians, okay? Um, now, Colossae was located really close to a Jewish community as well. The Jewish community had been there for a couple hundred years at this point. Um, so what you have in Colossae is probably a mixture of some like pagan Gentile mysticism, superstition, and Jewish religiosity, traditionalism, self-righteousness, things like that. Um, sort of this mixture that this one particular teacher had come in and begun to teach to the Colossian Christians. You need these other things in addition to Jesus in order to be saved or in order to have full knowledge of God or all these kinds of things. So Paul is writing this letter to go, okay, let's get back to the middle. So why does this matter for us? Let me ask you this. Do you, in your life right now, do you kind of struggle knowing, like, what is the very center and core of the truth of Christianity? Do you struggle, honestly, do you struggle kind of adding other things in with the faith that you have in Jesus if you have that faith? Do you kind of find yourself from time to time wondering, like, what's the truth and what's not the truth? And, and honestly, there's all these voices in the world. Um, and we can kind of break this down into different ways that this might happen to us, where maybe otherworldly philosophies or man-made religion kind of comes into our minds and mixes and mingles itself with the gospel and with Christianity. Um, God's religion itself, self-righteousness, Self-righteousness is something that we can mix with our, our faith or false teaching within the church. This is what was happening here. False teaching sometimes being in the church. Listen, even church hurt. Some of us in here have been hurt by the church before. Whether maybe this church, I hope not, but maybe another church as you grew up there or something like that. Where you got some kind of, you have some sort of thing in your mind or in your heart when you think about the church or what the church is and what the gospel is that you've kind of mixed in there because of a past experience of some kind. Or look, maybe it's superstition. Look, let's just be honest. 
We live in a culture where this is becoming increasingly, increasingly more popular and more prevalent. Hyper-spirituality and spiritual curiosity. The, the generations that are growing up right now. I mean, these uh, people all around us, y'all, and us, many of us in this room, we're, we're curious about spiritual things. We're curious about what, like, what role does luck or karma or zodiacs or astrology or sign readings or the Enneagram, what role do these things play in our world? in our lives, right? People are asking these questions. Maybe some of you are asking these questions. This is what the Colossians were doing. What about um, even just drugs or psychedelic experiences? I was, I was reading some stuff the other day about this, how a lot of Christians even, and I'm actually going to talk a little bit more about this in a couple of weeks um, when we talk specifically about what was being taught in Colossae, but m- about a quarter of all Christians believe in all of these things right now the Zodiac, or using psychedelic drugs in order to enhance a spiritual experience. Guys, this is not uncommon these days. And this is exactly why Paul would, would write a book like Colossians. Worldly philosophies, plausible arguments he talks about in chapter 2. Even Christian mysticism itself, right? Kind of uplifting a spiritual experience or a, like try, seeking after a vision, seeking after an emotional moment or emotional experience over and above and beyond the actual knowledge of the true Jesus in our lives. Anything, guys, anything that we may add into the true center of the gospel of Christ, this is why the book of Colossians exists. So I think it's relevant for us today. I think it's so relevant for the world today, for the church today. So here's the question I want to answer today, okay? One simple, big, big question, okay? It is a simple question, but it's a big question. The question is this. What is the nature of the gospel? What is the gospel? What is it? Maybe you can answer that question right now. And I think probably if I polled the room right now, we'd have a lot of different ways to answer that question. Probably all uh, around it are all really close to the right answer. But uh, we probably, you know, name it a different way or say it a different way. But I'm going to kind of break down a few different things that Paul gives us in chapter 1 of Colossians that the gospel is. And, and what the nature of it is and how it, um, it kind of works and, and, and is in our lives, okay? So here's the first question. What is the nature of the gospel? What is the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Here's what he says. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read, start in verse 3 again. So he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. So I'm just going to stop there. A couple of things we need to know about the gospel. First, right off, okay, right off the bat here that Paul opens this this chapter up. One thing you need to know about the gospel, well, really three things in one I'm going to give you, okay? Um, That the gospel of Jesus Christ, it must come to us, we must hear it, and we must understand it. Okay, Paul says this in chapter one, that the gospel has come to you. You heard it from Epaphras, this guy who brought the gospel to them, and you have understood the gospel of God's grace in its truth. So the gospel must come to you. What does that mean that it must come to you? What Paul's trying to do here is help them to understand nobody begins to believe the gospel without it having come to them. It is God who reveals the gospel. 
We do not make up the gospel. The gospel is nothing that any man has conjured up in his own mind. It is nothing that could just pop into a person's heart or their mind apart from somehow, some way, this gospel message coming. This is why Jesus gave the commission to his apostles to do what? To go and to be his witnesses, Acts 1-8. This was the central message. To the, the central commission to the apostles was to go and preach the message of Jesus, the gospel. Go be his witnesses. It has to come. If it doesn't come, no one will believe. This is why missionaries exist. This is why evangelism happens. This is why your neighbor will not know the gospel if it doesn't come to them. Okay? We do the job of bringing it to them. Now, it, it also says we must hear it and we must understand it. I want to make this kind of note here. Hear it. In this case, that they heard it, right? Because Epaphras brought it to them. Paul had preached to Epaphras probably. Epaphras brought it to them. And he preached it. He shared it. They didn't have the written New Testament, okay? We may hear the gospel by reading it. I think that that's perfectly fair to say that we, that we don't just, uh, it comes to us maybe by reading, okay? So maybe you learned the gospel, maybe you heard the gospel because you read the gospel of John or you read Luke at some point or you read the gospel of Jesus and you read your Bible and you heard it that way in your own soul that God revealed, the point is God reveals it to us through his word. It is a word that comes to us, okay? And we must hear it. And then he says you must understand it that you heard and you understand. So that word understand, it's, it's really, it's the word knowledge, which Colossians, it's a major theme of Colossians, okay? The word knowledge. He talks about knowledge a lot because the teacher that was there, the false teacher, he was a teacher who was teaching special knowledge. He was a teacher that was teaching, I have knowledge that you don't have. Let me tell you about it. Guys, listen, this is why I said bring your Bibles because if anybody ever stands up before you and says, I have a special knowledge that you don't have and you have to listen to me in order to get it, you run. From that teacher. This is what was happening in Colossae. You run from them. It's not about what Kurt is saying or Scott is saying or anybody. It's about what God's word says. It's here. It's for all of us. Okay? That's the beauty of the gospel. Guys, that's the beauty of Bible translation that all around the world people have the scriptures, the same scriptures we have. That they can have this message come to them. And they can hear it. They can read it. They can understand it. So Paul uses that word the word is epinosis, understand? It's deeper than the word knowledge. The word knowledge in Greek is gnosis, okay? This is epinosis. This is a deeper level of knowledge. So the difference in gnosis and epinosis difference in, uh, is, is the difference between, like, I know Joe Biden and I know my wife Tara, okay? That's the difference in gnosis. Like, I know who Joe Biden is. I know about him. I know things about him. I could list things about him. There are things that, in, in a way, like we all know him in, in certain ways. Or we know figures of history. Like, we have knowledge. But someone that you know personally, that you have relationship with in such a way, and epinosis is really about a relationship with someone that changes who you are. That's how I know my wife, right? That's how I know Jesus. That's how we know the gospel. Paul says we have to understand it this way. Listen, if you know facts about Jesus and facts about the gospel, but it doesn't change who you are, you are not a Christian. You're not a Christian because you know facts. Anybody could read facts and say, oh, that, that fact sounds right. But Paul is saying, you, it has come to you, you have heard it, and you understood the gospel of God's grace and truth. And so what is the gospel? Um, right here at the very beginning, we see that it is the truth about God's grace. The gospel is the truth 
about God's grace. That's a simple little definition of the gospel, the truth about. Now, there's a lot in that definition, okay, that we could go through. What is that truth? I'm going to get to that in a second. What, what about that grace? What happened in the grace? What was the way that God showed us the grace, right? But it is, simply put, the truth about God's grace. And we need both, do we not? We need truth and we need grace or we have no gospel. If you know or if you, you believe in the, the true Jesus, you see him, you know the facts about him, that he lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago, that he lived so long, that he died on a Roman's cross, all those kind of things. You kind of know and understand the truth about, and even like you would say, you know, I believe that he died as the son of God. I believe that he died, you know, all that death because God sent him to do that. And at the end of all that, you would say, yeah, but I don't want to follow him. Then even though you know the truth of those facts and they haven't changed you, Right? Because you haven't actually received the grace, the forgiveness, the freedom that his blood has offered us from sin, right? That there has to be truth and there has to be grace always. And some people want to focus on one or the other. And they're all about the the love of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. But they don't want to obey him in his truth as Lord. That's not Christianity. Or they're all about law and they're all about word, but they don't want to talk one word about his forgiveness and his mercy and his compassion and his personality. That's his grace. Paul says it's both, church. The truth about his grace. That's the gospel. So we need to know this, okay? Um, Next, what effect does it have on us? What effect does the gospel have on us? That's a good question. Glad you guys asked it. It's actually next to my notes. Um, It creates in us new life. It creates new life in us. Okay, I want to read verse 5. I'm going to actually read verse 5 and 6 again. Here's what he says. The faith and the love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. Now, this point I want to take just a minute on because I think it's it's kind of it's 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 a neat uh, thought that Paul is giving to us here. And I want us to kind of understand this as best we can. I've been working on understanding this. I don't know if I have a perfect understanding of it. I don't think I do. Um, But I think at least maybe I can help us understand what he's saying here about this hope, okay? Because we talk about our, our relationship to God and our, our justification. It is by, does anybody know that? Like, what is justification? Justification is by faith. Anybody? Faith? Okay. The whole book of Romans is that. Justification by, everybody say it. Faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? That's Romans 3, 21 through 26. This is the meat of the gospel. You want to go read a paragraph, maybe the most important paragraph in the Bible, Romans 3, 21 through 26. He gives us what does it mean to be justified, to be right with God. It's by faith. But he says here that, we, that our faith and our love, he says they spring from hope. Hope. So I want to key in on that word for just a second. Hope. What is he talking about when he says that it's hope? Okay. I want to read us a couple other scriptures to kind of maybe help us understand where he's coming from. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. Here, here's our word of truth, right? The gospel of your salvation. Having believed 
So there's faith, right? Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So there we see we hear a word, we believe the word, the gospel, right? There's our faith that we believed it. That's our salvation. And he says, when we hear that and we believe that we're marked in him with a seal, the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So there's some sort of like future oriented thing going on here at the same time, right? Some sort of like, I'm believing it now, but there's some sort of future oriented moment in that belief. Is there not? He said, you're marked and you have this inheritance that's in Jesus now. Okay, so let's, let's keep that in our minds. I want to go over to 1 Peter. I think 1 Peter helps us. Uh, Scott actually read this past a minute ago. Perfect. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen for the words, the word hope. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. That's what Paul was just talking about. New birth, salvation, into a living what? Hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance. That sound familiar from Ephesians, right? Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. Who through faith, there's faith who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, so let's stay in 1 Peter. I want you to look down. If you're in 1 Peter with me, this is why, guys, have your Bibles. This is so good. I love as we see how, how, how we make these connections, okay? First uh, Peter, if you go down a little bit here, let's look at verse 22. Here's what he says. It's going to help us understand this a little better. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers... Love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again. That's what he said in verse 3. You've been born again, listen, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. What is that? The gospel, right? Here's what he says. For all men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Here it is. And this is the word that was preached to you. I said, the gospel has to come to us. We have to hear it so that we can understand it. And he says, when this happens, there's this, there's this hope that happens in the midst of that. So here's, here, I think we put this all together. Here's, here's what it is. So the seed, God's planting seeds, right? As we hear the gospel, when you hear it preached, when you read it in the word, someone shares it with you through personal conversation or whatever that is, when you hear the gospel, God is planting the seeds in our hearts, And these seeds produce the new life, what Peter called the new birth in us through the word of God. He says that was preached to you. And that new birth is a birth into hope. It's a birth into hope. Paul says in Romans 8, 24, in hope you were saved. That that, that new birth as God plants the seed of his word. When you hear the gospel, he plants his word in your heart. And it gives you this beautiful flower that roots in your heart called hope. And hope is future-oriented. Hope goes, I see that what the gospel says is true. And I believe it's true for me. I believe that Jesus died. I believe he rose again. He says, a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. I believe all of this. And I believe that if that's true, that it's true for me. And I have a hope in heaven forever. This, this, This happens to us when we hear the gospel. This is why we preach the gospel all the time. This is why you're going to come here. If you come here for six weeks, you're going to have the gospel for six weeks. You know why? Because if you're a Christian, you need to be reminded of it, of the hope that we have in Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, you need to hear it until you have it. The hope 
that's in Jesus. And when that hope exists, then the faith which justifies, as Paul talks so often about throughout Galatians, throughout Romans, even in Ephesians, even in Colossians, that that faith that justifies grabs hold of that flower, grabs hold of that hope and says, this is mine. That's faith. When you grab hold of it, and this happened, I don't want to like make this sound like this really happens like through stages. I think this is simultaneous, right? As we hear the gospel and we go, yes, there's hope. I want it. I have it. I believe it. And that's salvation. I just want you to know what happened to you when you became saved. It was that God planted the hope in your heart, gave you birth to a new life in Christ Jesus. You were dead in sin. Now you're alive. And that's hope. So it creates new life in us. But that's not all that it does. What else does it do? What, what effect does it have on us? It grows in us and bears fruit through us. Listen to verses 9 through 12. Verses 9 through 12 in Colossians. Says this, Colossians 1. He says this. For this reason, since the day you heard, we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Do you want to live a life worthy of the Lord? Do you want to please God? It's the gospel, okay? We need to know the gospel and this hope that's in us and live it out by faith. That's what he's praying for them. Live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light. I'm going I'm to pause there. So it, it, it grows in us and it bears fruit through us. This is the effect the gospel has on us as we hear it. As that flower is planted in our hearts and we take hold of it by faith, then we live it out. He says uh, that, that what comes from that hope is what faith and love, that love springs from that faith then. The, the way that we live our lives, it's in love to God and love to our brothers and sisters. He also says we are filled with the knowledge of his will. Verse 9, we're filled with the knowledge of his will. This is not about, listen, honestly, I just want to be clear about this. This is not about like having special visions or prophecies, okay? That's actually something he's combating in this letter. Because he's going to go on to say in verses 28 and in chapter 2, verse 2, that the apostles' teaching is what he's talking about. The way that they've been taught by Paul, the way that they've been taught by Epaphras, the way that God's word has borne the knowledge of God, has brought the knowledge of God to them. We grow in this. We learn this, right? And he says we live a life worthily and pleasing to him in verse 10. We grow by being strengthened for endurance and patience with joy in verse 11. We grow in thankfulness, verse 12. These are effects that the gospel has on us. If you don't think the book of Colossians is relevant to your life, ask yourself this question. Do you want to please God? Do you want to live a life worthy of God? Do you want to have strength for endurance and patience with joy? Do you want to have joy as you endure the things that come at you in life? You need the gospel. You want to have patience? You need the gospel. You want to be thankful? You need the gospel. So here's Paul's definition, I think, as we put that all together. Paul's definition of the gospel, its nature is this. The gospel is the truth of God's grace in Christ, which comes to us by his word, which produces the life and knowledge of Christ in us and the fruit of Christ through us. The gospel is the truth of God's grace in Christ, which comes to us by his word and which produces the life and knowledge of Christ in us and the fruit of Christ through us. But here's the question. 
what is that grace? What is the message of that, right? Because I ain't said the message yet. I just told you what it is. I told you the nature of it, but we need to see the, the message of this truth. And here it is. It's verse 12 through 14. I just want to read this in its, its, its entirety, okay? Verse 12. Starting kind of the second half of verse 12. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Can we, amen, anybody? He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, he says, the forgiveness of sins. That is the message of the grace of God in truth. That we were living our lives in darkness. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians, he puts it this way, that you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit now at work in those who are disobedient. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, you know God's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's the gospel. You can say it a hundred different ways as Paul does throughout the New Testament. He says in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. That's the gospel. He says it over and over and over again to help us understand that there has been something done for us and a message must come to us to let us know that Jesus Christ has set us free from the dominion of darkness. And he says, transferred us into the kingdom of light, God's beloved son, Jesus Christ, that we now live in him. And maybe more amazingly, he says that he lives in us. This is the message of Colossians that we are in him and he is in us. And in 116, he says we have been created in him. This is next week. 117, he says we're held together in him. 122, he says we're reconciled to God in him. 23, he says we find all treasures of wisdom and knowledge in him. All of chapter 2 is about being crucified and buried and resurrected in him. In 3 3, he says, We have died with him and we now live with him, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is the gospel, the truth of God's grace, that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And in 127, he says this, and, and Scott read this one too. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. The hope of glory. That flower that has been planted in our hearts that we never let go of. That we believe. And no matter what I see, no matter what's going on around me, no matter the circumstances of this world, we have hope. Unlike all people in the world, we have true, real, tangible hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul's going to take a lot of uh, labor in this letter to make it very clear that Jesus Christ, though he is the image of the invisible God, that's our first verse next week, he became a man with a physical body, who physically died and physically rose again from the dead. That matters because people were arguing this didn't really happen. Oh, he was just a spirit. He never actually died or he never really resurrected. It was just sort of a ghost experience or something like that. And Paul's going, no, our hope is in something real and physical. Jesus, you know, he still has a body. You know this. He is fully man still today and fully God. 
still today. And we in him right now, seated with him on his throne, Ephesians chapter one, seated with him right now on his throne. And when he returns, he will resurrect our bodies to be like his glorious body, Philippians chapter three. This is the hope that we have. And it's in Christ, Christ alone, our hope of glory. By faith, you who were dead in sin are made alive in Jesus. And guys, we need to hear this. We need to hear this all the time. We need to hear this every day, the gospel of Christ. So I pray that you would, um, man, come back for this series and walk through this series with us as we go through the book of Colossians. And here's why, just a, just a personal word as, as I just wrap this up. Here's why. Because church, we are in a war on truth. In this country and really in this whole world, we are in an all-out war on truth. What is true? What is right? What is real? And just ask yourself, do you have any of these things in your life that you wonder about? Purpose, truth, suffering. Are there sins in your life that you can't seem to shake or you constantly feel like you're dealing with? Relationships, community, marriage, your job. Paul talks about all of these things in the book of Colossians and how the gospel relates to them and not just relates to them, informs them and changes us to live in all the ways that philosophy and psychology and science can't teach us. Those things have their place, but they must be submitted to Christ. They must be submitted to Christ. It is Christ in us and we in him. So if you have never received Jesus as Lord, put your faith in him today. Put your faith in him today. We're going to sing in just a second. When we're done, we're going to be done with our service today. I'm going to hang out right here. If you want to come talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus, let's talk. I'd love to talk with you this morning, pray with you this morning. If you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, understand what he prayed for the Colossians. He's praying for us that we would grow in wisdom and understanding, that we can actually grow in our knowledge of the gospel. Y'all, the gospel's an ocean, okay? You can wade in the shallows like a little kid, and that's fine. That's good. Kids can do that. But you can also dive into the depths for as long as you live, and you will never exhaust the glories you will never exhaust everything that Paul has to say as he, as he puts it in chapter 2, verse 3. He says, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's the Jesus I want to follow. That's the Jesus I want to know. That's Christ in you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus. We just lift him up today as our Savior and our hope, the one in whom we have faith, the one that we look to, the one that we praise, Christ, your son. You, Father, have sent him. Your spirit glorifies him in us to look to him for our salvation. Jesus Christ, the center of our lives and our very life itself. Christ is all and is in all, your word says. We love you, God. Thank you for Jesus. Let us worship him.